Hello, Rachel. Hello, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Oh, that's great to hear. I'm doing very well myself. It's great to have you here, but we also have a special guest in the studio with us. Everybody, Larry Dottilio's here. He came back from his appearance in TKO. He's here to answer some questions about his script writing for this Babylon 5 Hi, episode. Larry. Hi, Larry. How are you, Larry? Larry, move out of Rachel's seat. Oh, wait. Rachel, I always forget this. You always come across like Rachel until you pull your hair back. That's it. Larry, hello. How are you? It's great to be back with you here. It's it's an honor to have you in the studio to talk about a B5 episode. Uh, How are things? How are things, Larry? Poor. Poor. No way, Larry. You wrote the B5 episode, so it's going to be great. Are things going yum yum for you? Yum. No, (laughs) it has to be yum yum as in good. But enough of this horseplay, Larry. Let's dive into what we are and what we do here. Usually on Yum Yum Podcast, my wife and I, Rachel, host a uh, show in which we are re-watching, revisiting, and reviewing episodes of a TV show. We used to do Star Trek Discovery, hence the name Yum Yum. I mean... You know all about it, don't you, Larry? Could you could you remind us all where Yum Yum came from? Well, everybody knows that Yum Yum came from the Discovery. Classic. And then it came from the season two finale mm-hmm. with the iconic character of Commander Nandi responding <sighs> to a question being asked. That question being, are you up for murdering this mm-hmm. season's protagonist. Antagonist, Larry. Antagonist. If only they asked if we could kill Michael and they responded with yum yum and then licked their lips sexily. That would have been amazing. Hey. Hey, hey. Maybe, maybe I support control. Maybe. Um, you Control isn't this script for this week's episode of B5, mm-hmm. so we'll get to that, won't we, Larry? Yeah. Uh, one of the things... But, but I didn't... Oh, go on, go on. Sorry, she responded by licking her lips. Flicking mm-hmm. her hair sexually and saying yummy, yum, yummy, yum, 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 indeed. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you: you're an esteemed writer. Uh, you you wrote for many things, whether they be tabletop games or for television scripts. Mm-hmm. You've written a plethora of things in your lifetime, and it's great that you've come back from from the afterlife to come join us here. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to ask is, are you upset that in your decades and decades of writing that you never put that down in any of your work? The um, yum yum moment. As a cyber zombie, I can't really think. <laughs> no, I'm Larry. just reliving the moment of my death. No, Larry, no, that's not what you are. You're an angel sent here to join us. Is that what happens? Can can mortal beings become angels, or are angels just a... Uh... Depends on the theology. Okay, fair enough. Well, my theology is that that's why you're here. But but enough of all this. Let's get into the meat and potatoes that our yumlings are here for. So, so I'm allowed to be Rachel again? No, Larry's here forever. <laughs> for the whole episode, we're joined by Lawrence G. Tatilio, everybody's favorite writer, guest spot writer of B5. I don't so like we this. are looking at one of your episodes, as mentioned. It is episode six of season 
and who, and it has a spider in the web. Well, that's a question I have to ask you. So, on the DVD,、mm-hmm. the menu and the description, oh yeah, the ones that James says, right? Yeah, he's got a lot of questions to answer himself.、Mm-hmm. It says a spider in the web, and then、mm-hmm. on the Babylon Five wiki, it says a spider in the web, but on IMDb. And in the actual episode itself, with the title, it says "Spider in the Web." Which one do you prefer, a spider in the web or spider in the web? A spider in the web. Really, I'm more of a spider fan. Just the the no a is just it is the spider. There is not a spider. It's just spider. But, But so the line that I write. Says a spider in the web. Well, there's a spider in well, the web. Because, not the spider well, well, in the well, web. Yeah, in the script, but in the episode title itself, within the episode, it is spider. But either way,、mm-hmm. it's just one of those little things that I, I wanted to question everyone about.、Uh, and listening people out there, yumlings, let us know which you prefer out of those titles. Do you like the art in there, or do you prefer it dropped? So the DVD description、uh, has written for this episode as such. Who or what is disrupting negotiations that a Mars colony representative, Adrian Barbeau, hopes will bring peace to the planet? The secret rests with an individual, Michael Beck, more dead than alive, a cyber zombie run by a remote computer. That is the episode. So I am excited to be talking about this particular one because it is a Talia-focused story more so than it is anybody else's, and we haven't had a Talia-related、uh, episode in quite、you、some time. Since... I do have a regret about this episode, Ryan. Do you, Larry? Ah,、uh, uh, th- this is one that I want to I want to bring up first of all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know, I know.、Um, I I I listen to the pod. I know you do. You've been on before. Wonderful. Yeah. Um. So I just want to note, I did push for there to be a a Talia and Ivanova scene. Yeah, we was, all did. Was rejected. Yeah, they just you know what Claudia Christian was too busy that day, and they just couldn't get her on set to film the making out scene between Talia and Ivanova. But it's in the back of our minds.、Mm-hmm. They, you planted it here by having Ivanova say, basically with with licking her lips throughout the entire scene and smacking her hands together, going、mm, yum yum, saying subtextually all that, but、yep. out loud saying that Talia is an interesting person, which is definitely、mm-hmm. the way I would describe her character.、Mm-hmm. Interesting is Ivanova's word for fuckable. Oh yeah, that's my word too. How did she? How did you, as the writer, and how does Ivanova, the character, know that's my word for fuckable? No, I'm it, kidding. I... My word for fuckable is yum yum. It's、yeah. two words. It's one word twice. Yum yum. Who in this episode, in your professional opinion, would have said yum yum? If you had to go back and rewrite it, who had the yum yum energy? The Y Y E. Garibaldi. Bought、yeah. some YYE. I think. I think I would have slotted it in、um, mm. to him. Like, I think it could have gone in very easily when he's talking about his his dad's cooking. Yep. 
Yep, I I agree with you. I agree with you. It's definitely Garibaldi. Him in that lift, especially in the in the tube, his sexy tube. When he, he calls himself a yut. Oh, he would have called himself a yum if it was up to me. But that was your mistake. So my history with this episode is uh, not so complicated. I've often watched this one, and it is the in the myriad of uh, of uh, of Talia episodes that I acknowledge. <laughs> And say, that's fine. But it piques no real imagination in my brain sparking off. It doesn't really make me relive any memories when I visit this one. It is a perfectly serviceable episode to me, and it always has been. It hasn't really changed too much on this. Are you insulting my script? Yes, Larry. I'm insulting your script right to your face. No, no, I'm complimenting you. It's serviceable. It works. That's backhanded complimented. (laughs) Oh, oh, let me save it. Yum, yum. It's yum, yum. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But no, in all seriousness, I... Get me on I don't. I don't hate... about it and say that it's serviceable. But I've never really been blown away by it, in all honesty. And when I watched it today, I wasn't necessarily blown away by it, but it did feel like a refreshing, cool glass of water after the drought we've been in with some B5 episodes of late, in which the last couple have been dire in mm-hmm. boring energy. This one was not boring. I was okay. I was amused at points. I was I found some stuff to uh, chuckle at that were meant to be chuckled at. I found mm-hmm. the intrigue to genuinely be interesting, the the horror of it, the sci-fi nature of this story. I didn't mind the the angle of Talia being here. I liked that it was one story. Mm-hmm. I've always liked uh, an episode where it's mainly one story. Rachel uh, points out those are usually your favorites. My favorites. This isn't my favorite, but I did appreciate that it wasn't uh, um, stretching itself. It didn't need to have the ambassadors involved. It didn't need to force in that angle. And it's another chapter in the Psychor slash Earth is terrible arc of this show, which I do enjoy very much. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just one of those episodes of uh, the show in which it is about Talia Winters. And it's fine. Mm-hmm. The best Holly Winters episodes to me are the ones where Mr. Bester is in them because he is a character that I really like. <laughs> uh, and when he's not involved in her stories, I don't remember them as, as well because he is a memorable presence in any episode he is in. And he has the benefit of when Talia was in the show, he would be in episodes with her. So it would make her feel more important to me in my brain because he was such an interesting antagonistic foe for her and for the show. You, you said interesting, not yum mm, yum. You know what I mean. Walter Koenig is very interesting to me. Very, very interesting, if you know what I mean. Uh, what, <laughs> what's your history with this one? What do you think? So this is an episode that I always go, oh, yeah, that episode. I... Do remember Talia's outfit? Her she looks s- like a Nazi bumblebee. <laughs> a Nazi wasp and or bumblebee is a great way to describe her. Why I say wasp is she's, she's very lean mm-hmm. in the outfit. Yeah, but lean. I like the idea of a An Nazi bumblebee outfit. better. Yeah. Nazi wasps seemed like a thing that they would actually have tried mm. to experiment with. Mm. I'm not saying that they didn't experiment with bees either, but... Of the bumble variety? I don't think so. No, no. I don't think so. Don't know. 
<laughs> I know, I'm always like, oh, yeah, this is fine. It's fine. And then I'm like, nah. By the end of it. And I think a part of that is because it sets up a bunch of shit that goes fucking nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I think that is what brings it down ultimately is this is a, a, a non-episode because it's about a character that goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's about a secret organization that never gets referenced or comes back yeah. again. There's reasons for all of these things and mm-hmm. we've gone into them and we'll go into them again. But it doesn't negate the fact that when you sit down and watch this, this episode is a creative dead end. It means nothing. It is a setup to nowhere. And it is hard to appreciate it on its own face value because it is a setup episode. It is a episode sitting here saying to you, hey, this will pay off, and then it doesn't. Yeah. Sheridan investigating the corruption within Earth Gulf does pay off, and his interest in collecting secrets and conspiracy theories also. Mm. continues on like those smaller character based things yeah continue but overall the the titular spider in the web does not continue the thing that he's going to hunt does not get brought back bureau no. 13 but so you've not been a fan of this one and your overall recollections of it is oh that episode mm-hmm. which doesn't indicate a a, a high favor no, for it same weirdo comes to the station murders somebody and then it's just like, cyber zombies? Okay. Well, hold on. Are you saying Horn is one of these cyber zombies? I've been talking to my sister over the last couple of weeks because they're re-watching Babylon 5, and they're a Talia fan. And I've been talking to them about the character and trying to engage with my sister about what they like about them as a character, and it just bounces off of me. And I was hoping that, oh, when I watch the episodes that will soak in and it just still is bouncing off of me. One of the pros that we have to talk about is, although it's not really an important key point in this episode, it's important to us, is this is the introduction of Zach Allen. My Zachy Poo? We love Zach Allen. We love Zach. I love Zach. I can't wait to see him more on this rewatch. When we go into a B5 rewatch, we always say to ourselves, oh, I'm really excited to see this character. And sometimes the watching experience fulfills that excitement, or more often than not, my eye and my heart get drawn to somebody that I didn't expect. And over the last couple of watches, it's been Franklin, it's been Veer, it's been uh, uh, Delenn at times, it's been Zach Allen. And over this watching of it, I've been really hoping that Delenn would be more my focus. But in my heart of hearts, You've it's, been been, waiting. it's been waiting for Zach to come on screen. I've been missing Zach. I've been mm-hmm. thinking about Zach. I've been thinking about things that I can't wait to speak about, about his character on this podcast. I think Zach is a great character, and but, I like that he's just here as just one Ryan. of the other security guys. Yes. It's not a big grand introduction. It's not like, and everybody, new important character. It's not the Warren Keffer where no. he's just there but, and you treat it like he's always been there. Anyway, and, and you then need he's to in clarify the something, credits. Ryan. What? You're shafting Lou. Well, we all love Lou. Here's the thing. I love Lou. We all love Lou, but he doesn't it stay. It does not negate our love for Lou. Nothing does. He loves cake. I love cake. Lou Welch. 
Hutch is wonderful. He's a hero. Zach Allen has our love too. Well, here's how, how I describe it. Lou Welch walked so Zach Allen could run. Mm-hmm. And that's what his contribution to the show will forever be is Lou is here to warm us up for the Zach Allen character because he's the proto Zach Allen. He's the trustable security guy who is Garibaldi's friend in that job and then things spiral out. And I'm sure if the guy who played Lou stayed on, he would have been this character type, but he didn't. And instead we got Zach and Zach's here. What did you think about uh, this little thing of Zach just is here in the show? Because when you first watched it, you had no idea that this guy would come again. And if no. he was anyone, like, did you recognize that it was Kaniki? No. Exactly. He's just so you, nondescript you, here. I didn't get a chance to because you were like, Kaniki's coming. <laughs> I, he's, he looks exactly like Kaniki. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> he is Kaniki. I'm not a huge fan of Grease, though. Nor so am I, don't, I. I don't have his. Face turned into my brain. Oh, I do because I hate Grease, but he's the only aspect of it I like. <laughs> Him and the teachers. Um, mm-hmm. He's the only aspect we of Grease I like. Love Grease too. Mm-hmm. What a film. What a Ooh. film. Did you know in that film, somebody's jogging on the track and their genitals fall out of their short shorts right in the center mm-hmm. frame, right at the front of the camera? It goes by super quick, but watch it. You'll see a guy's uh, junk fall out of his uh, pants. Mm-hmm. And if Grease you want to watch Perfect Michelle film. Pfeiffer gyrate on a ladder, oh, do I that need... movie's got it for you. Oh, a very interesting choice. <laughs> if you really want to know... Yeah, what I like about an episode of this nature is, and even if it isn't paid off in the grand narrative, like this one doesn't pay off in the grand narrative because uh, JMS squashed the Bureau 13 thing because it was named after a real-life tabletop game because Larry Dottilio stops writing for the show after season two because the actress of Talia Winters leaves. All of those things happen that stop it. But what I like about it, in spite of all of that, is when you have an episode that is about the one thing, it makes it feel important. Mm-hmm. It gives it this sense of agency and gives me as an audience member a finer attention to the story that's displaying out in front of me, where it doesn't feel as if it's fluff or as if it's filler or if it is just an episode to be made, the fact that it is a singular story, even if it doesn't add up to the grander whole, comes across as this is an event episode, or this is an episode Mm. that I have to note down or pay attention to. Yes, because those have been the episodes in the past and the future that you do have to take note of or pay Mm -hmm. attention to or get drawn into in that manner. And I, I appreciate it here, although, like I keep saying, in the end, the grand picture, this doesn't really contribute to the weaving narratives of the show. But when I sat down and watched it, I was still sucked into that mentality of, hmm. I have to really care about this episode or pay attention to this one because it is just this story. It didn't need 
to distract us or to stroke his chin by having a B story that mirrors his themes. I like that I'm sitting here today being able to talk to you about one plot in an episode without having to cut back to the other plot going, how do they tie in thematically to one another? Or do they connect with one another literally in the story? That gets tiresome after a while. When you're re-watching and you're actually talking about in a podcast format, episode by episode of a show, and an episode has a strict formula of A, B plot, that gets a bit tiresome. So also on the, this level of us talking about it, I find this to be a, a really refreshing one to visit hmm. because it is, we're just going to talk about the Abel Horn plot and we're going to just talk about the Mars stuff and the Psycore stuff and that's it. There is no, and what do you think about uh, uh, this little story over here in which uh, Veer is making a house of cards with his dicks or whatever? This one I wouldn't even describe as um, tonally wild. It is tonally consistent with itself without being po-faced, without being humorless, without uh, without um, negating or removing the uh, levity of our characters. It still manages to have all of those while still te- telling a very uh, brutal little story in amongst all of that. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that was a big pro on my list. Is it time to talk about the big con? Yes. Talia Winters episodes in particular do not go down well for either of us. What don't what about a Talia centric plot does not appeal to you? Well I never really find her that sympathetic until much later. Like I find her sympathetic after she's left the show and the shit's already hit the fan and everything goes down. But at this stage, I'm just like, but I think maybe because she doesn't see herself as a victim mm-hmm. um, and she seems perfectly happy with her life. And she covers up the psychos evil doing. Yeah. I'm like, I don't trust you. And also... But Ivanova says that you can trust her. Ivanova trusts her, but Ivanova For some reason. Yeah, Ivanova hates all telepaths and hates the Psycore. And I'm like, I agree with that judgment. Because, like, to go to a line that Sheridan says, I fucking love. I fucking love this line. Um, Like, I trust people, not organizations. Yeah. And it's just like, well, I've got, I've been given no reason to trust Talia. Yeah. And I've been given every reason not to trust Besta and not to trust the Psycore in general. Yeah, I think you're touching upon something that's a fascinating point there, which is I don't find her a sympathetic character at this point, but I'm supposed to. It's clear, and we've talked about this, that her whole thing is she's an unknowing victim of this entire thing. But she knows at this point of how horrible they are, and it's obvious that we're not expecting her to defect from the core straight away. But it is that thing of a lot of her stories is her being a spokesperson for the core, seeing that they're doing something shady, and then keeping it to herself. And not really emotionally budging 
on that in any way for us, the audience, to really understand how much this actually emotionally affects her. We get her being emotional over scanning the minds of serial killers or seeing her friend get killed in front of her. They're not afraid to make this actress cry, but it isn't in... I I more so each rewatch. I scream at her. You have telekinesis. That is something too of... She has telekinesis and never uses Bitch. it. Bitch, are you for you, real? You are a telepath. Incapacitate the man. You're telekinetic. Tele- as, telekinetic yeah. Like, as well as telekinetic. Like, she, but she's only a P5. Yeah, but she can just do the Jeffrey Combs thing of pain. I guess, but maybe she hasn't been trained in that. But I don't care. The thing is... You have a hit upon upon something that is so true of, I should feel sympathetic for her character, but I do not. And so when she lies at the end and withholds the information, you go, ooh. Not so much ooh as in she's withholding information from my characters, but ooh, Talia is still sympathetic to the core. When is she going to not be? When? What thing is going to break her? What thing is going to make her flip? What is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back with her? That is what I get a reaction out of, more so than, oh, she's deceitful, she's hiding these things from her Mm -hmm. friends. It's more, she's got another thing added to a list of why the core is evil. What's going to be the next one that's going to break her, if any? And that is tiresome, especially in a Mm rewatch, and especially knowing where she goes or doesn't. And Yeah, and when she lies, I'm like... I'm just like, Sheridan, please see through this. Hey, he's only met her this one time. I don't think he's ever met her before. Yeah, but he doesn't trust her. No, he trusts No, he trusts her. He doesn't trust the court. No, no, but like... he's He asks Ivanova's opinion and then yeah, he trusts her. Yeah, that's after. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still don't want to believe that Sheridan fully trusts Talia. Well, he does keep asking throughout the entire season if they can trust us, so we'll see how that progresses. Uh, what it doesn't... Uh, when it's a Talia-based episode, uh, there's something about it. There's just, oh, it's her character. I think there's a permission given to me when I see a character sometimes, whether it's Deanna Troy or Beverly Crusher or Talia Winters or Neelix or uh, uh, Jake Sisko or... Uh, I could keep going, Right. Archer, there's a permission in a way given to me as an audience member that I don't have to care. Yeah. And there's something to be said about that of, okay, we always use these characters as examples of Talia, this, this, this. Has there ever been, can you really conjure up, then there must be a character where you've had this reaction before, where you go, oh, oh, it's a Deanna Troy episode, I don't give a fucking shit, and that's changed where the show actually makes the character work well enough in which you no longer feel that way after a certain point. Is there a character in any of these shows, including Babylon 5, in which they manage to flip that switch for you? Because I'm having a strong, a hard time recalling anyone off the top of my head, because usually with the characters in B5, I didn't expect them to go places. Uh, in Like for Zach Allen, I didn't have a strong opinion of Zach to begin with, but then I did. Talia, she's a main player, and I know my opinion was never strong, but in terms of liking it, but I've had a strong opinion of never liking it, and now it's grown to 
I somewhat tolerate Talia, <laughs> but I've never flipped going, oh, yeah, Talia, because maybe because she's not in the show long enough, but I'm still trying to think, like, Deanna Troy never really wins me over in TNG, nor does Jake Sisko in Deep Space Nine, or, you know, they have some great episodes that they're involved in, but when it's their characters and you see it's an them episode... Rarely have I ever been swayed to not have that uh, permission to not care mm-hmm. or that resignation in myself. How about you? You've watched a lot of shows too. I have. With a lot of shit characters. There's, there's one in particular that comes to mind that did succeed in this. Okay, interesting. I want to hear. Is it from Gilmore Girls? No. I was, gonna, I was guessing Gilmore Girls. When I ask this question, I'm going to go, she's going to say a Gilmore Girl character. But though, though, to be fair, I... Upon rewatching, I, I do enjoy Lorelai's parents a lot more. I well, get... you were wrong not to like them to begin with. They're the best part of Gilmore Girls. What the fuck are <laughs> you talking get, about? Her get... dad likes trains. That's a reference to Intolerable Cruelty for those out there. I get more frustrated with Lorelai each rewatch. And, and That's the right Rory opinion. And, That's the oh, right opinion. Fuck, after you're in the life, like, I can barely stand rewatching that show now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the mark of a good uh, revival <laughs> in which it kills the show for you. <laughs> Go yeah. on. Um, it's six feet under. Of course. I should. That's third on my list. The second was Buffy. Um, ah, who did you think it was? In I don't know. I was sure okay. you were going to say someone like Xander, <laughs> something. I don't know. No, I grew to li- dislike Xander more. Yeah. So, so who is six on. feet under? David, Michael C. Hall's character. Oh, okay. I never liked him. <laughs> you never like Six Feet Under except for the cold opens with the I death. L- I like the dad. <laughs> the dad's <laughs> dead. The dad is dead. The whole fucking show starts with the dad fucking dying. But when he comes barely, in. He barely even appears in flashbacks or as a fucking but when he does, I like him. He's a good actor. He's a great actor. <laughs> He's one of my favorites. Oh, no, but okay, so David. David. So you're saying it can work for you. Mm. So why doesn't it work here? Why is it? Because you can tell, especially in this episode, that, that the writers are trying to do more with Tali. They're trying to give her more. They give you this little cute monologue of hers, which I fucking love. I adore her backstory monologue about Abby, in which she tells it like it's this fun little story and not the creepy story of her being abducted from her family when she was five and mind, and like, brain, literally brainwashed by a psychic cop lady to love the core. Um, I love that. Why doesn't it work with Talia? Why doesn't it work with some of these characters? Well, it works for me with David because it felt like the writers acknowledged that the character isn't likable mm. and that there's a lack of depth there, but it feels like it was kind of part of the plan because a part of his arc and his struggles as a character is coming to terms with his sexual identity and, Mm. like, being comfortable and confident in being himself. Mm. So he's still an arsehole at the end, but you get why he's an arsehole and he's not as much of a dickhead about it. Interesting. So he grows. So you're saying they felt started more- flat and mm. then 
you get the backstory and then he kind of develops from there and mm. his relationships with other characters continue to to shift particularly I I enjoy the way that his relationship with his younger sister develops. Would I be wrong in saying this, because you said a lot there, that a part of your enjoyment of that character is they're felt after a certain period of time, a certain revelation, a certain plot point, that that, that beginning stage of his character was planned out more yeah. than than it may have been or that you initially thought it was. Mm-hmm. That, 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 uh, that thing oh, that you didn't like about him was intentional. Yes. Do you feel that with Talia? No. But it clearly is planned. It clearly is, but it's because it doesn't get to go anywhere. I think it's not just that. There's no substitution for anything else because I watch Six Feet Under and I agree with all those things you said. But you know what I can tell you about David? He had a character. <laughs> like, 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 Talia is Talia is her theme, is her arc, nothing else. She has no character to me. She is a blank slate. And that's an argument to be made. Her character is supposed to be a blank slate person who gets woken up from the indoctrination and has something more to her. But you watch an episode of it, and I'm sorry, but for a protagonist of an episode, to have a character that's a non-character on purpose and they don't wake up like Neo from The Matrix... (laughs) You you can't sustain that for two seasons. Can I admit something? Yes. Um, now, are you admitting this as Rachel or Larry? <laughs> as Rachel. Okay. Uh, I, Larry would never admit this. <laughs> I was sad when the her friend died. Jason but, Einhardt? Yeah. No, no. Her friend in this episode. Oh, Asagi. Asagi. Uh, I was sad because it meant that the part of the episode where she's mostly on her own really starts, and I didn't want that. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, no, don't die yet. Don't take the plot with you. I like you, and I like not being alone with Talia. She's creepy. So you find her creepy? You don't feel sympathetic for her? Not at this stage. I just, like, I find her too measured and performative. Mars was his dream, Captain. Now he's been murdered for it, and you're trying to cast the blame on him. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. One of the things that you're touching upon there that I think is so true is... You care more about her in her final episode when they make it like they do something big with her and you're like, oh, and then when she's gone. And it is the absence makes the heart grow fonder in multitudes mm-hmm. of ways, in the ways of the general sense of this character is no longer here. Remember when they used to be here? You're kind of nostalgic mm-hmm. for the days of when the show used to be a certain thing, but also the potential that never got fulfilled. Yeah. I will see if I stand by this, but... In past rewatches and currently, the most I ever feel about Talia. Mm-hmm. Do you know where I'm going? Is it Bester's little jab about how they dissected her? Nope. Oh, I think I love Talia. Yes. Yeah, but that's about Ivanova. That's about Ivanova. Exactly. But she, that's the moment where I care the most about Talia. Yeah. Is because I care so much about Ivanova. 
And that's a weakness of the character of Talia is her real long-lasting legacy is how she is in relation to Ivanova, not as her own person. No. Because she never got to be that. Mm-hmm. In this episode, we say it's a Talia episode because she's in it a lot. But I don't really feel like we got to know Talia deeply no. or feel anything differently about her. I don't feel like this progressed her character in any direction. Like- it's more a... We say this a lot. It's more a, we haven't had her in a while. Let's reintroduce her to the show and to the audience. And it's always feeling, uh, no, it, it is always coming across as if Talia is 12 steps behind the rest of the characters. Mm. And every episode we meet her, it's her sprinting to get to us. And you you lose the finesse there. I, I, yeah, I, I never get a sense of what she's feeling in reality. Yeah. Like she says that she's scared. And she's acting it. Ooh. And she's, oh, the actress is acting it. With that voice and the Ugh. tears. I don't know why um, this is a. But like, um, what I wanted to say is that she lacks agency. And I don't know how Talia feels about her lack of agency in this episode. Yeah, I have no clue. Because, uh, because she it, she abides by the the core at the end, and uh, I don't know. I we it's just we we have she to just rely is. that this was going to make sense later, but it never does. But even then, with other characters like Sinclair, for instance, where he was in the show, he was in one season. And I deeply liked him. Oh, he's the main character for sure. But he had things where you had to trust that this will pay off later. Thankfully, it did for him. But even if it didn't, he was a well-written and well-formed character. He was well-rounded. He had layers. He had depths. He had want, needs, desires, fears, anxieties that we understood in a singular episode. Talia is a telepath that that's is it. part of the core that's- and trusts the core. Yeah, and, and, and that's it. That's all you got. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is... This is more of us being a viewer of shows. When we watch a show, you and Mm -hmm. I, and I'm curious if other people do this because my family does this, my friends do this, so I think this is a somewhat regular thing. But when a character like Talia is on the screen, we aren't afraid to kind of heckle a bit to kind of sling some mad shit Like I already acknowledged. And, And when she's crying... And the actress isn't doing a terrible job, uh, but she's crying. All I could think and all I could say was, all I could say was, shut up. That's all I could say. I was like, oh, shut up, Talia. And it's so derogatory of me. Her her friend died in front of her arms and all of that. And all I could think and also all I could say was, shut the fuck up, Talia. And that just says that the writers and the story thus far have failed to make me engage with this character in any way, shape, or form because I feel stuff for when Londo has gone through these type of things, when Londo Mm -hmm. lost Adira, again, another one-and-done character. I felt something on his behalf, and that was in episode three of the show. Here, we're two seasons in now. We've had Talia here, and... She's crying, and all I can think and say to myself is, I don't care, can we move on? Yeah, this episode brought out a lot of heckles in me. Mm-hmm. As I acknowledge, like, the, you use your telekinesis and your telepathic abilities. Why are you running away? Yeah. Um, and a slew of other things about Tali. <laughs> Um, I also heckled when we got the exposition dump about the 
conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. But one that I managed to keep inside mm-hmm. that I am still just like, really? Like, you just wanted to make a joke, didn't you? That Garibaldi's third favorite thing is tea? No, I like that, actually. I think for a recovering alcoholic, I think that's a really neat little detail to put in there, that one of his favorite things is a drink that's often used as a a form of rehabilitation for recovering alcoholics. I I I think that's a neat detail. I just see him more as a coffee person. Because they they have that scene with him and Ivanova. Just one quick stop to make on the way. I found an illegal planner in the garden last week. Someone was actually using our hydroponic system to grow coffee. And as everyone knows, the garden is to be used only for fruits, vegetables, grains. So I figured I'd just stop by and rip it right out of that planner. Let's talk about the cyber zombie in the plot, shall we? (laughs) I, you know... Do you like this idea? I hate that they call it a cyber zombie. That's where I draw the line. But do you like the idea? Yeah, I do like the idea. I I hate the phrase as well. But I, I also I kind can't. of love it in a way. I can't. Like, it's right up there with equation it's spell. Trash. Oh, it's trash. It's trash. But I kind of like that it's trash. I like to describe Babylon Five as this poetic, beautiful sci-fi opera with some silliness there. But then there'll be shit like equation spell and cyber zombie. And, and what was the demon? Hollow demon, and, Hollow demon. And, and and it goes on and on. The knuckling feeder and the grail and Jinxo, and it just doesn't hit uh, it every time. Doesn't no, hit the mark every no, time. No, no, it does not. Uh, stroke off. I uh, Mutai is another one. I like the idea. I think it works well in the plot. It would have been cool to see more of these cybernetic zombie creatures, mm-hmm. or even more of. Uh, cybernetic things in the world of Babylon 5, we understood in Deathwalker, again, written by Larry Dottilio, that Deathwalker herself would play around with putting machines in people's brains, and uh, I like it. I think it's interesting because it really hinges on the actor who plays this this specific thing, and I think he does a very a uh, reasonable job with the material that he's given. He flips between Interesting considering being... his background. Oh, yes, yes. We'll get him in our spotlight. But uh, he, he flips between being the real Abelhorn and being this robotic version of Abelhorn, which I like. And at the same time, I feel like we never got to know who the real Abelhorn was by the end of this because even the version that we see of him is a frightened, weakened version of him who seems like a a victim of everything, Mm. which he is, but also Mm -hmm. he is a a mass-murdering terrorist. So we never got to see the true Abelhorn. And again, it all hinges on the performance in terms of we are given information about a guy that we wouldn't feel sympathy for necessarily, Mm -hmm. but because of his performance adding this vulnerability as well as the physical torment that the that this has put upon his character you can't help but feel a little bit of something for him hmm. a little You're bit like, of he is a you should not be in this position yeah he's a victim you don't deserve this yeah. you deserve to die he's already died but you did not deserve to become a cyber zombie. For the people who you were fighting against, which mm-hmm. I think is the real interesting thing about the cyber zombie aspect, is it isn't the tech that he has, but it's the fact that uh, 
the Earth government, or Earth in this case, is so willing to keep order, to keep the status quo as it is, or to suppress people, or to enforce these rules, that they're willing to turn fellow humans into these mindless, controlled mm -hmm. soldiers, then they are willing to get the, the people who are fighting against the status quo and turn them yeah. into that. It's a real Orwellian nightmare and I really uh, thing put in here. like the kind of law around that as well, that like... Uh, Yet another Lazarus project, yeah, in sci-fi. Mm -hmm. Swear every sci-fi franchise has one. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> now I'm just thinking of the Doctor Who episode with Mark Addis. Yeah, yes, thinking about it. Too. I'm thinking of him on the organ. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but I like the idea that they can't just use regular humans because, like. The brain and probably the Mimbari would say the soul reject. Yeah, it's too complicated. Yeah, like it does, it just drives people <laughs> insane. Yeah, and so to get someone who's dying or comatose or lacking brain activity and to make them focus on one thing, in this case, death, mm -hmm. so that they can be controlled yeah. like in by control. Yeah. The evil uh, computer program control, which, hmm, interesting, hmm, you know, whatever, hmm. <laughs> like yeah. how Bureau mm, 13, mm. not Section 31, hmm, interesting, mm, that. Mm, 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 strokes mm. chin a lot. No, I I think it's cool. I, I, I like how it's implemented in the episode because we get doled out the information as the story goes along. It's, we know some things that the characters the, the don't know. The info is paced nicely. Yeah, we know things that the characters don't know, and by the time they learn it, we feel that it's uh, earned, and we don't feel like we're 12 mm -hmm. steps ahead of the main characters. Nice and you're going, use oh. of irony throughout. Yes, and, uh, uh, yeah, and Sheridan being this guy who presents himself as the ultimate... I'm the court, I'm the military stooge man. I'm smiley, happy-go-lucky. But then he reveals this little dark streak within him of actually, I don't trust in organizations, even though I'm a part of one. I collect government secrets, which says a lot about the fact yeah. that he wants to know that the government he works for. Mm -hmm. And the military he works for is doing shady shit, and he wants to have tabs on the shady shit that Three they do. Three years for a name. Yeah, and then the guy died. They died. Shortly after. And we have to remember this period of time that Sheridan is undercover. He's being in charge of Babylon 5, but he's doing reconnaissance and figuring out people's stances mm -hmm. for General Haig. That's something we have to remember, too. So. Yeah. Even this version that we've seen of Sheridan is still a performance being put yeah. on by Sheridan in some ways. But this here mm -hmm. gives you a glimpse early on into the cynicism of his smiley persona yes. that is there, which I think is neat. I think that uh, he smiles to himself and chuckles and says, it's good to be captain in this episode. But yeah, he's, he, he's looking for that spider. He's more than just the smiley guy who likes oranges and longs for being a guy who travels in space looking at aliens. He's more than that. And that is that presented to you. That was a very cute moment when he was explaining. His Star Trek the, first yeah. contact. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this. 
This feels nice. Well, it's great because, uh, again, give credit to this episode. It does the the flipping of those very well. So that's a very nice, wholesome story told really well. And it's him being Mr. I'm a representative of Earth and I'm welcoming other Mm -hmm. aliens to us and us to them. Isn't it wonderful? And I learned so much from Mm -hmm. these aliens. And then at the end, countering that with... I am working for a dark, insidious system that is afraid of others and themselves. I'm aware of this. Now mm-hmm. you're aware of this. Yep. I am going to make it my crusade to fight against Earth as we mm-hmm. go along. That's cool. As well as, like I said earlier, the Talia Winter's whole entire existence in which her existence in the world is very sad. She's this indoctrinated mm-hmm. uh, woman who was stolen or taken up like a young age from her family is doesn't really remember her her family no exactly but she knows that she was five when she joined the core was taken in by the core so she did have a family and they gave her this carer who who scanned her and probed her and adjusted her so we 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 definitely agree that her memories of her parents were deleted at some stage or at least put to the side in reference reference to the core yeah just, maybe because it's not even all that maybe it's just a five-year-old would definitely have like at least one or two but Rachel distinct the, memories the core especially is mother the core is father yes but i just wanted to acknowledge that another thing that i want to acknowledge which i think is super cute and i love it Bonavar is now great with the ambassadors <laughs> She's had an arc. She's developing. Yeah. Uh, she's gotten to the point where she like she gets the logistics and she set up the really um, specific seating plan, and mm-hmm. it got complimented by the aliens. And mm-hmm. um, she's Sheridan, becoming good at being a diplomat. She, yeah, Sheridan has a lot more confidence in her, and she has a lot more confidence in herself when it comes to these things. You shouldn't have doubted and her. She's God. Yeah, she's God, but now she's reminded herself that she's God. Ivanova is God. I I just feel the need to bring this up. It's not entirely relevant, but I just feel the need. Do you care more about the Mars representative and or Abel than you do Lise? Because she's been our other connection to Mars. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> because I didn't expect this question. I thought we could ask something relevant in terms I of said Lisa. That it wasn't going to be relevant. Well, look, it's kind of hard to say because we all love Lise. We all love Lise. What a lady. She's just a woman trying to make it in this tough, tough world with her boyfriend or husband or fiance Franz, who's yet to die. And, uh, you know, can is it fair of me? Look, Amanda Carter is actively working to free Mars and Lise Hampton is just marrying wealthy people. Mm-hmm. Uh, She's becoming part of Mars Corp. What I will say is both of them are kind of girl bosses. So that's mm-hmm. what I'll say. And, and then Abel? Do you uh, care oh, Abel, more about well, Lise he's, or he's, Abel? He, well, Abel's kind of... Uh, well, he's killed people, <laughs> so not really. But mm-hmm. what I what I what I can say is his hair is very nice. Yes, he has very nicely quaffed hair. Mm-hmm. So look, 
Don't make me choose between my two Marsy girls, okay? It's really unfair of you to do that. I mean, where does number one factor in on all of this, too? I mean, there you go. Well, but she hasn't appeared yet. I'm what? talking about, like... I'm curious of if... From this point backwards, not this point I'm curious of, wouldn't it be interesting thing? if the reveal of number one in season four was Amanda Carter? <laughs> Yeah. Well, that would have been an interesting storyline to go with. Yeah, Not that been. I have anything against the actress who played number one or that character. No, it would I'm have just been curious interesting, though. if that was something that could have happened. Like she had to revert back to Free Mars because of the Earth... Uh, 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 Earth fucking everything. Earth fucking everything up for them on Mars. Oh, that's something to think about. Now, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Bureau 13, I mean Section 31, I mean Bureau 13, sorry, why did I say Section 31? I don't know why I said Section uh, 31, oh, yeah, it's the... not, as all, not at all like they're very similar Isn't ideas. Isn't that a board game? What, Section 31? No, no it's, uh, Bureau... it's this idea in Star Trek. Bureau 13! Oh, Bureau 13. Yeah, you know what's interesting? So so tell us about why Bureau 13 does not get furthered in the show. For those who are not aware and didn't mm-hmm. fully grasp what we've mentioned already. So according to the IMDb trivia for this episode, JMS decided not to pursue this idea because it was like the name and a large portion of the premise of Bureau 13 being like the evil slash defense Secret part of the government, uh, the Earth government. Uh, is it, it, yeah, go on. It's a tabletop game. It's an RPG tabletop game. Uh, now, from what I read, it sounds a little bit to me like Bureau 13 kind of comes across like a SCP type thing, this secure, contain, protect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not idea. exactly the same, no, it's but not there's the same, enough but... similarities that JMS was like, nah. We've heard this before when we've watched this episode and we always say to ourselves, what if happened to this idea? Because it ends with Sheridan basically looking at the camera saying, hello, audience, it's me, Sheridan. (laughs) I'm going to be investigating this. This This is going to be an ongoing storyline. And then he clicks, points at the camera and winks. Mm -hmm. And then it isn't. Yeah. And we always wanted to know why. And you look up the trivia on IMDb and it tells you this. You go, oh, okay, so JMS respected this uh, tabletop game enough to not to use its name. It didn't mm-hmm. say there was any legal reasons why it came across more. Once JMS found out, he personally decided, I'm not going to do that because it's not fair, right? Now, now being a little bit more aware of things, mm-hmm. and I don't want to speak ill of Larry Dottilio, but Larry Dottilio's background as a writer does include tabletop RPG Dungeons and Dragons games. When you look at his uh, career, well, yes, it does. Ryan. It includes many, many big ones. I was talking to my sister about this, and my sister's into these type of games, and I referenced a whole bunch of them. And my sister was absolutely blown away. Did not realize that Larry was responsible or in part responsible for these iconic uh, tabletop RPG things. And so I have to ask you this question, and I don't mean to be slanderous or anything, mm-hmm. but I don't, did, I don't take offense. No, Ryan. no, Larry, I know you don't, Larry. Did he? You mean s- did I? Yeah. Did you? Did he? No, seriously. Did he <laughs> steal the name and somewhat basic concept and put it into B five and expect no one to notice? Because he must have known, right? Because he's not like some guy who wasn't involved in that. He was deeply involved in that Mm -hmm. scene. 
I would doubt that he didn't know. At best, he heard of the concept and it was in floating around in his head. And when he wrote this episode, he didn't remember where it came from. But the name as well? Yeah, like... The name and I'm saying some at of the best, concept. That's not what I think happened. What do you think? I, I, excuse me, Larry. I think he was just being a hack. Really? I honestly don't know. I've never thought about this until we sat down to record today and I looked up Larry Dottilio's background and I know, I, I remembered, oh, that's right. And then I started to think, well, if this was removed from Babylon 5 because it was a tabletop RPG game and Larry Dottilio was heavily involved in that world, you have to ask yourself, did JMS find this out and have a talk with him and they said, we ha- we can't include this because it's theft, basically. And we do know that Larry Dottilio leaves Babylon 5 after this season. And he never really works again with JMS. We listened to JMS's autobiography, and it seems like they ended on more positive terms near the end of Larry's life, but he never talks about why they separated at all, which was very odd in a book that was filled with lots of details. I do not know, uh, but it did raise my eyebrows a bit reading that now and looking at this man's background and connecting some dots. Yeah, I'm which is why he... I lean towards it being hackish. Oh, uh, look, then... I don't want to say that he, he stole it I think and he thought, thought no that it one was would notice. different but... enough. And... But he named it the same name. That's a thing. Like, mm. if we make jokes, and many people do make jokes about how D- Deep Space Nine steals from Babylon 5 because they have Section 31 and Lita and all of these things and Ducat and all of these things. And we we can do that to Deep Space Nine. We can jokingly do that to Deep Space Nine. I think it's fair to raise it about one of the actual writers of Babylon 5 doing the exact same fucking thing to a tabletop game Mm -hmm. and expecting no one to notice. Now, I'm not saying he did steal. I do not know. But if we are allowed to make fun of Deep Space Nine for having these things, I think it's perfectly justifiable to do the same about Larry mm-hmm. Dottilio being a tabletop writer, putting in, in his Babylon 5 script, a tabletop game and expecting no one to twig on it. It's very interesting. I don't know. I've never heard anyone kind of dive into this and kind of break this down. Or I don't know. Like investigate the timeline. Yeah, of it. I have no clue. But this is just us speculating. But it is something to talk about because... We uh, have been going on last few episodes about uh, guest spot writers and how they just don't get the show often enough. Uh, There are some who do, some who don't, but mostly it feels as if JMS is the only guy who knows how to write Babylon 5. I think after watching this episode, I take that back. I really do Mm -hmm. think you, Larry, good job. You get how to write Babylon 5 episodes at this point. Uh, Because... It took me a couple of goes, but... I got there. What do you think about that? What do you think about that statement of Larry Dottilio is the other writer who does get it? Yeah, this felt like a Babylon 5 episode in a way that other guest spots haven't for a while. Yeah, there there was just lots of character-filled moments in amongst the plot. Lots of quiet scenes, lots of humorous little moments, the levity, the door gag. The Mr. Mr. Mm-hmm. Wizard and mm-hmm. and the the Sheridan giving the speech about meeting aliens and all of it felt like JMS in a lot of ways, but different enough. The the the, the words used didn't have that same uh, 
specific poetic style that JMS has, but it didn't lack it either. Mm. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a distinct voice here, but it is matching the rhythm of JMS. To me, it didn't have that sense of these are the moments where JMS went in and punched up the script no. to make it more Babylon 5-y. It feels like they were there from the beginning mm. because there have been various moments where it's just been like, oh, that feels like a JMS line in somebody else's script. To to the betterment or detriment of some scripts, like we say, Believers yeah. has a whole B plot that JMS shoved into it, and it, and it weakens that episode. Uh, I I I uh, because there comes a point where JMS just takes over the entire show, and it comes across as he could not rely on anyone else to write his characters and his world. And like I said, I do not know why him and Larry Dottilio separated off, but I think that assessment, if I'm I'm making that assessment on behalf of JMS, isn't necessarily accurate when I'm rewatching an episode like this. I think that other writers, if they were given more time and more mm. leeway, like Dottilio is, um, I think because that, he had worked with him yeah, in the past I've bought this closely. Out. It's not just that people can't write Babylon 5. I don't think JMS really had the skills to bring people in. To nurture them. To nurture them. To and, show run. Yeah. He, to, in it, I don't think he had the skills to collaborate mm. and run the show. I just don't think that he had. The, the skills or the energy to develop those skills because it was an amazing amount of pressure. Oh, of course, of course it so, was. So, like, I don't fault him for that, but I think that that is a part of it, that it, Babylon 5 had such a specific voice mm-hmm. and so much of that voice was coming from JMS and nobody else could get on that wavelength. Uh, And in other shows, like, they might start it collaboratively or it might be some one person directing it and then other people come in and help develop the voice of the show. Or the audience have a misconception that one person is at the helm of it. Joss Whedon, for example. He was not the only writer on Buffy, by the way. In fact, didn't he stop being one of the head people of Buffy for a little while, or at least as heavily involved as he used to be? I, I cannot remember for the life of me, but what I do know is he was not the only guy. But people always treat it like Joss Whedon was yeah. the only guy who was there. Jameis literally becomes the only guy who's there, yeah. which is fucking insane. And oh, I, And I want to ask... The epitome of that is... The finale of the series for me, <laughs> of where the, basically it, patting himself on the back, but it's yeah. Earned. But the the fact that he, he turns had the lights to, off. No, <laughs> literally, he turns the lights off. No, but the fact that he got to direct it was because well. no one else could. <laughs> yeah, because they ran out of money and they wanted and people, it and they yeah. can. So, <laughs> a question I want to ask since yes. we're on this vein of talk. There's a reboot that is allegedly in the works, a pilot script's been sent off, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Do you think JMS has learned from this, or do you think that this is going to be how it is on the reboot? I.e., there could be other writers and they deteriorate and it's going to be him again, or it's just going to be him? He 
he he played well with others when it came to Sensei. Yeah, that is true. But hmm. that was more a collaborative project from the start. Yeah, I'm curious. So, I'm curious. I really don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, I I think about it here because I love the era of season three, season four, when it's just JMS, but I do admit that I miss the variety of voices mm. like from this episode here. There are certain elements here, little cute things such as uh, Jovian sunspots and some certain phrases used in the episode that are clearly Larry's things. And mm-hmm. they are only in his scripts, and I kind his of little miss watermark those. on it. Yeah, his little watermark, his little spoo mark, you know, <laughs> where JMS puts spoo in everything he does. Practically, this is his version. He has many of these throughout the episode. That if you are a keen-eyed viewer and you're paying attention to who writes an episode, if you pay attention to Detilio's scripts, he has these recurring ideas and 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 metaphors and themes that I I I kind of miss that they fade away uh, because JMS is the only one who writes this show. (laughs) Oh, a Jovian sunspot. (sighs) You're indulging. I earned it. I'm off duty. Okay, it's time for the part of the show in which we shine a spotlight on one of the performers in the episode, whether they be big or small, recurring or minor, or one-off in general. This time, we are looking at an actor. We are looking at the specific actor who played Abel Horn, Mr... Michael Beck. Michael Beck, who... We've already touched upon his performance, but I wouldn't mind touching it again. I don't have too much more to say other than it's pretty he, good. He's he's a lot better than I've given him credit for in the past. I watching mm. him today, I was I drawn... appreciated his performance more in this episode than mm. I have in the past. You know what I describe him as, and same with uh, Adrian Barbeau in this episode who plays Amanda Carter, because they are, but um, they're movie stars. There was something about his his hair, his face, his his general presence that's iconic. Yeah, because he's the guy from Warriors, and because he's from Xanadu. Swan. He's from Swan Warriors. from Warriors, but just he naturally, uh, as an actor, as does Adrian Barbeau in this episode. Uh, they the camera, the way the camera holds on them, the way they are in in mm. the in the frame of the shot they scream movie stars to me yeah, he even and, gets to do quite a lot of hand acting oh he does a lot of hand acting he does a lot of seizure acting mm-hmm. but uh i really mean that like he there's felt a, like a guy there's a scene that's dedicated to his hand oh uh, if it is his hand i mean we never saw his body it could be just a hand double you know could it be a hand double a sexy Ooh. hand double uh but what do you think about him, and what do you think about that statement of these two yeah. kind of feel higher caliber? Yeah, they they stick out, and they draw, they captivate your attention, and and they they hold it, and when they're in scenes with other people. It's not in a way where they're stealing the limelight. Yeah. They just naturally have this presence 
about them that is commanding and that works very well for the characters that they're playing as well. Yeah, I uh he he especially looks like he belongs in the world of B5. It's kind of hard to describe what does and doesn't make a person look like they belong in the world of Babylon 5, but he his physical presence, his again his hair, his costuming, his way of speaking, mm. he felt naturally like he belonged in this universe. The way that he shows how Abel is beat down yeah. feels very much B five to and me. And that he was this deranged guy. Mm. Uh, I I really like his performance. Uh it's not gonna be the one of the ones we talk about in the season recap of the great ones, but it is there's something abstract about it. Because it helps he, he, make this episode better. He really does help make the episode better. Uh, so let's talk about Michael Beck, the man, the myth, the legend. Are you familiar with him at all outside of this episode of Babylon 5? Not really, because I haven't watched The Warriors. Oh, but it has Jerry Horn in it, the other Twin Peaks connection. <laughs> he has the famous uh, scene where he puts a... A, a bunch of bottles like he puts them on his hand like one on each finger and he clinks them together and he sings warriors come, come out, out to play famous scene famous scene no that scene famous character yep love that guy mm-hmm. as the baseball guys so you haven't seen him in anything um no 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 you're not a xanadu fan no Never watched it. Whoa. Should we do Xanadu on the Patreon to redeem yourself? It's shit. But it's Can we do Grease 2 instead? No, no, we're gonna do Xanadu. Xanadu is such a you type movie. The fact that you never have watched it blows me away. It actually I'm actually a I wanted uh, to uh, one time when it was on TV, and apparently my mum hates it so much whoa! that she requested that I not watch it when she was in the house. Whoa, I underestimate your mum's taste, because she's right, it does fucking suck. <laughs> she's like, I don't want to no. even risk hearing it. That was no, the kind like of Xanadu. attitude that she brought in. So. <laughs> so you're not familiar with him? No. So I am. I've seen Warriors, I've seen Xanadu, I've seen Megaforce, a great Barry Bostwick movie where they do a... Uh, Want to uh, acknowledge that uh, Xanadu and Megaforce are the... Razzie winning performances of his career? Yes. <laughs> and ruined his career? So I want to just... Oh, well, did he win for both of them or was just nominated? Oh, nominated least. But I, uh, I want to talk about him in the biggest scheme of things so he did tv work he appears in crusade so evidently they liked him enough in this to want to bring him back in some other capacity which is really good he's retired from uh film and tv acting at least he from my recollections he seemed to have had a real theater background Mm -hmm. which makes sense honestly it makes a lot of sense so it's cool he went off and did a degree in economics first as you do as you do and then was accepted in into the very select mm. uh, London Central School of Speech and Drama. Interesting. Any other facts you have about him? He did a play with Lauren Bacall. Other than that, I mean, you, you could just you could just retire <laughs> after that. I mean, are you ever going to get better than that, Lauren Bacall? Mm-hmm. Mrs. Bogart. Yep. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Um, his. 
He only has 42 credits. He was born in 1949 and played his first role in 1971. Mm-hmm. So, so he was quite, he was a bit older. Yeah. Um, and then the other fun fact mm-hmm. that uh, just amused me. Mm-hmm. Don't know if anybody else will find this amusing. Um, there was a TV movie that he was in called The Reckoning. Okay. Did he wreck it up? Uh, I, n- I don't know. He did come back. Wait, he did come back, back for the Warriors video game yeah. and did the voice. Good job. He, he I does. love it when actors do that. Yeah, he does seem to stick to that. I think there was another video game that he was a part of because he was voicing an uh, character that he played. Cool. Um, Xanadu the game. <laughs> it's a rhythm game. <laughs> I would play the Xanadu rhythm game. I would rip my ears out, but go. <laughs> Fucking Xanadu. Um, it only has a poster that's in Finnish. Oh, okay. So he does look Finnish. Um, yeah. So the localized t- title of that is "The Killer of the Unreasonable," translated back into oh, in- I love English. When they do that because I got excited because when I looked at the poster, I was like, "Oh, that might be Polish." Nope. So. What I do know about this actor, and this is going off of memories, but I've seen him talked about a lot. He was the upcomer, the new star. Everyone was excited. Everyone liked his energy in Warriors. He was the new thing. He had it all. He could have it all. Mm-hmm. All these doors opened up to him. And then he followed it up with Xanadu, and it closed every fucking door. So he was the quintessential, the actor who was alive for a hot minute, the 15 minutes of fame type of deal. Because yeah. he followed it up with Xanadu and it closed all the doors. He has an amazing quote on his IMDb about that, about how uh, uh, warriors opened up everything and Xanadu closed them all. But he can't be mad at Xanadu because, hey, it must have been something because it made a very successful Broadway show, apparently, like a, a stage musical. Xanadu's far more successful. So it has had a life yeah. beyond the shitty film that ruined his career. <laughs> and then uh, he did later on Megaforce, which is an amazing film. Amazing, amazing movie. And he's terrible in it, but he's an amazing film. And I love his outlook on that movie, too, in which he says... Hey, it's not a film that you, I would ever recommend to people, or it's not a great film, it's not going to win any awards, but it did help pay for my wife and my children's first house that we moved into, so I can't you know, I can't treat it poorly. And I think that's great. It makes it it's remember cute. that this is a human, this is mm-hmm. an actor. He was he was he had he could have been a big star and he got fucked in the ass because he made the wrong choice. That comment feels very different. Then I believe it's a Michael Caine quote about Oh, where Jaws pay like Jaws is one of those movies that oh, I don't remember making it, but I remember the house the house it got me or whatever, yep. the boat it paid or whatever. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't... He was already a rich prick star, yeah. so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but this guy he reminds you that he was just an actor. He never got to be a huge mega star who got billions and millions and whatever. Each film mattered into a life, paying for this thing and paying for that thing for the family and the kids and so on and so forth. And he is an anomaly of a of an actor where he could have had it all, and he made he him or his agent made that one choice, mm-hmm. that, and it shifted everything that ruined it all. Don't yeah. you kind of feel bad for him? In a weird way, like either. this guy could have been, uh, uh, I would say maybe a Mel Gibson type mm-hmm. with how yeah. he is in the Warriors, where he's this high, silent Mad Maxi mm-hmm. weirdo. 
I, I, I don't know. It's it, there's an alternative reality in which Michael Beck was the star he was supposed to become. Yeah, and not in an episode of Babylon Five, yeah. and not in this episode of B Five. Uh, an interesting figure, nonetheless. Uh, I wanted to spotlight him because he's the main guy I think of when I think of this episode, and I think he's an interesting person who had a career that was um, unfortunate. Let's just say, except for Megaforce. Megaforce is. <laughs> Uh, a piece of art, and we're going to watch Xanadu at some point, which is also a piece of art. It's shit art, but it's art. What do you rate this one out of yum being bad and yum yum being good? Now, remember, yumlings, that's you people listening, Mm -hmm. we don't do half yums. We don't have concessions on this podcast, okay? So, Mm -hmm. bad or good, yum or yum yum? So, I, Larry, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. give it a yum yum. Yum yum. has a lot of merit. <laughs> of course it does. It has the merit of having credited Lawrence G. Dedilio wrote it. Yeah. But, but, you know, <laughs> sets up things. It's not my fault <laughs> that JMS decided not to continue with this. Hashtag not Larry's fault. I, um, and uh, Ryan, I give it a yum. Yum. Yeah. I'm very conflicted because the more I've talked about it, the more I've warmed up to it. I've warmed up to it, but not to the point where I think that it's good. Here's what's holding me back. Mm-hmm. We talked a very long time about who the central character is, who is Talia Winters, and this episode fails at making me invested in her any more so than I have been. So I'm conflicted. Uh-huh. But I'm going to have to land on a yum. Yeah. I'm having to edit out right now, but Larry's crying profusely. Won't stop crying. He's saying, why did you do this? Why did you bring me back? <laughs> why did you bring me back just to insult me like this, Ryan and How Rachel? How dare you? How dare you? But two R's strike again with Team Rocket. Are you keen to hear what episode of Babylon 5 we'll be watching and talking about next time? <laughs> Sure, Ryan. <laughs> sure. On the next Babylon 5. Next time on our show, we'll be watching and talking about Episode 7, Soulmates. The description, according to the DVD, goes as such. Now that Londo has permission to rid himself of two of his three meddlesome wives, he must decide which one he'll keep. Meanwhile, oh, there's a B-plot. Talia's troublesome psychor ex, Keith, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but I'm going to guess it, Guess it's Polish. I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, it's a... You're it's, not going to attempt It's a it? lot of SRs and Zs and Js and attempt As. Attempted at least, Ryan. Keith Zabuszka. Sure, why not? Uh, he arrives. So we'll be talking about Soulmates, which has... Uh, an amazing amount of stuff to talk about. I cannot wait. That has the giant from Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It has Mr. Holm himself from mm-hmm. uh, TNG. So 
Keep an ear out for that discussion, people. Make sure to watch Soulmates in the interim so you're all caught up. You can catch up with us by following us on the social media platforms of your choice, where I do believe on practically all of them mm-hmm. under Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. All of that is in the description of the episode, as well as our email address in which you can email us at yumyumpod at gmail.com. And also in the description is that link to that Patreon that we have we've referenced we have several times in this episode. We have a Patreon we, that we, people could support? Yes. We've Woo! mentioned the other types of content that um we do. We do. Uh which include our thoughts on various pieces of media, the looking X-Men at the best and worst rated episodes of Star Trek. Star Trek. We did the movies of Star Trek. Yes. We have a whole back big back catalog. catalog. But you know what we didn't plug about the Patreon? What? The Discord. We have a group Discord that you can be a part of. Larry's there. He's writing all the time. He's writing Bureau 13 scripts in there all the time. It's a wickedly weird place to be. Come on and join the party. Get some extra yum yum content into your belly so you can smack it and go, mmm, Rachel and Ryan gives us the yum yum mm-hmm. for but a fee, know, though. For know, a fee. But there's different but, tiers, but you got to come join. You know what, yumlings, even if you can't support on Patreon. That's true. For Not short or long term. You know what you can do? Yeah. Give what? us a yum yum review. Or rating in case you're on a platform that doesn't do the reviews. I know Spotify has ratings, but they don't give us the chance to do written reviews. That's fine. But please, if you can, just stop for the moment Give us a rating or review. It would be greatly, 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 greatly appreciated. It would be interesting if you did it. It would be very yum, yum if you did. Jakar was not in this episode, which Mm -hmm. no one was in this episode that was an alien. But if they were, I would have liked Jakar to have walked in during the uh, Mr. Wizard scene to, Mm -hmm. to slide through the door just to say good eating to you, Mr. Garibaldi, and then walk out. But I guess I'll have to do that for you, Rachel. Good eating to you, Rachel. And good eating to you, Ryan. Oh, and good eating to you, Larry. Good eating to you. (laughs) You both. Ah, Mr. Caraboldi!